make meaning out of it and turn it around into a scenario where, you know, they went back to school or they learned, you know, and took some additional courses and kind of reinvented themselves. And that's really what's required sometimes when that stuff happens is you really have to be open to reinventing yourself and seeing yourself be able to do something new. Life doesn't always turn out the way we want it to. Millions of people get seriously injured or ill every year, putting their lives on halt. This may cause some of you to lose your jobs, your health, and more importantly, your sense of purpose. I believe that no matter how hopeless and helpless you might feel right now, God still has a purpose for you. This show was created to help you find that purpose, to inspire you to not give up, and to find ways to find fulfillment and make your life meaningful. It does not matter how dim your past or present looks like, as long as you are breathing, you can always find a way to say, my future is alive. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Christine Waters, and I hope you've enjoyed this show. Welcome to another episode of My Future is Alive. Now, before we get into today's interview with Michelle King, I just want to touch base and talk a little bit about the two extremes that we tend to gear towards or be pulled towards when we're recovering from an injury. The first one is to feel guilty that you're becoming a burden to your loved ones who now have to help you and assist you with the things you previously could do on your own. Add to this the guilt of inconveniencing your employer and workmates who now have to produce the same amount of work without your help. I remember feeling this myself. I forced myself to go back to work way before I was ready. I also hated relying on other people, so I kept trying to drive when I wasn't supposed to. So please, please, if this is you, give yourself permission to rest and go through the process of healing. Let those around you help you. It's not only going to be a blessing to you, it's going to be a blessing to them as well. It's even going to create a deeper bond with them. Just focus on resting and getting better. Now, the other extreme would be to give up and feel like you can't do anything anymore. You feel worthless. And this may cause you to then rely too much on other people or just completely shut yourself out of the world. I've been there too. Having had so many setbacks made me feel like I couldn't do anything anymore. While this may be true in your case, there's always that small thing that you can do to help you get better. Focus on the thing that you can do, not on the things that you can't do anymore. Sometimes it may feel like using a spoon to dig yourself a tunnel to escape from prison, but doing something is always better than doing nothing. If you have to build your strength back up by starting with lifting one pound weights, do it. Just be patient with yourself and give yourself time to heal. In getting better, there's always that fine line of either doing too much or doing too little. Finding the balance is very important 
is difficult and is different for every person, but just be patient again. It may take a lot of trial and error, listening to your body. Keep in mind that you don't have to do this all by yourself. Utilize the expertise of the different therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, or whoever therapist or whichever therapist your doctor has prescribed for you. For me, I even had to use vision therapists. That brings me to our guest for this episode. Michelle King is a 2004 graduate of Russell Sage College with a master's degree in occupational therapy. She has had over 15 years of education and experience with a specialty in hand and stroke treatment. She is also one of the owners of Physical, that's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L, Physical Therapy and Balance Centers, both in Oswego and Watertown, New York. In their facilities, they also help concussion patients and a wide variety of major injuries. Michelle is a resident of Oswego, New York, soccer mom to two boys, and enjoys fishing with her husband on Lake Ontario. Let's welcome Michelle King. Tell us a little bit about your story. What made you want to become an occupational therapist? I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field, and I really wanted to be a surgeon at first, um, but I did a program called the New Visions Program uh, through Oswego Hospital, and um, I really you know, could see how much time, energy, and effort was going to be required if I went that route. And, you know, I was thinking long-term when I had a family, was this going to be a viable solution for me? Was I going to be able to work and be there for, you know, my children in the future? And to me, the answer was no. So I needed to shift gears pretty quickly from medical school to, Uh, something that was going to be a little bit more uh, schedule friendly. And I started looking into physical therapy, uh, but really by default ended up with an occupational therapist for the day and kind of fell in love with the different things that uh, she was doing. It was very, um, you know, it was varied throughout the day, depending on the type of patient she had. It wasn't uh, really, you know, row exercise. It was you know, she really was very creative in her approach to patients and was doing a lot of different things. And and I get bored easily. So that's what kind of, uh, I kind of pushed me into that direction. And you, you've enjoyed it so far. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been practicing since 2004. So it's been something that the cool thing about the profession is you can kind of constantly reinvent yourself. Right. Um, by doing continuing education and getting into another uh, form of practice that you aren't currently in. And that that's kind of the neat thing because you really can't get bored. And every patient, even if they're coming in with a similar condition, is different and unique and their body is different. So you have to come up sometimes with, with different approaches that are going to work better for that particular patient. Right. So, you know, it kind of keeps you on your toes, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's a nice, you know, schedule. I can work eight to five, nine to five, eight to four, 
you know, and still be home in the afternoon to, to take care of my family and stuff. So it kind of works with life. Yeah. Really nice. Cause not all jobs, you know, in the medical profession do that. I've seen you work. You don't just deal with your own patients. You also <laughs> deal with everybody else's patients, right? Kind of sometimes. Yeah. It does happen that way where, you know, somebody will pull you aside and be like, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I do that with the other therapists too. Basically, you know, have a lot of years of experience under their belt. We all work really well together. We all really respect each other. Um, and what we bring to the table, which is, which is nice. You don't always find that in every profession. Um, and you don't always step into a situation. I, I work with people that are just really humble and kind. And I'm really blessed by that because there's no, there's no egos. Everybody's, you know, everybody's in it really in our office to, to help the patient, you know, and if we don't know something, we're going to look something up or ask for help. As far as patients go, do you have like a, a sense of what is the most common uh, things that they come in for? Like, what have you noticed We kind of have our, our niche. So, you know, we do a lot of hand therapy and we do a lot of um, concussion and we do a lot of balance impairment, you know, dizziness, vertigo. And we do quite a bit, you know, of orthopedic anything, you know, joint pain, any type of orthopedic surgery, whether it be a knee replacement or a fracture repair or shoulder surgery, we kind of get the whole gamut for the most part. Um, and that's, that's cool because it does, you know, like I said, it keeps things interesting. Keeps you on your toes. Definitely. So um, going into the subject of major injuries, have you ever had a patient who's had to either stop working altogether because of their injury or were forced to switch careers because of their major injury? Yeah, I mean, all of the above. I've, I've had people that, you know, were, you know, so injured that they never could get back into the workforce. And then I've had people who, you know, have had to kind of change courses or change jobs um, at their current job to accommodate for, you know, changes in their physical abilities. Um, all of the above. Yeah, definitely have had had that happen. Have you noticed if that's affected their recovery? And if so, how so? Like their ability to get back into the workforce? Right. Like the, has it affected them psychologically and, and then therefore affected how they treat or practice the exercises or use the exercises rather that you guys give them? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it all depends on, on the individual where they're at in their life and how kind of deeply rooted that role is within them. You know, for example, You know, I, I had a patient at one point in time where, you know, they were closer to retirement age anyway. So they just took an early retirement Okay. and their injury wasn't so debilitating that they weren't going to be able to enjoy their retirement. So, you know, in that case, it wasn't devastating. Um, but then I've had patients, you know, where they're kind of in their prime And, you know, they're doing more of a manual labor type of job 
and, you know, experienced a significant injury and were not able to return back to that job. And that is, that is devastating and life-changing, especially if they can't get into a light duty type of scenario, because, you know, a lot of times if it's factory work, you know, people may have 15, 18, 20 plus years in and be making a really good salary at that point. And so for them to replace a job like that is, is really difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any, um, maybe like favorites, a a favorite story or a few favorite transformational stories that say, even if they had to switch jobs or stop working altogether, it still was like, it gave them a better outlook in life, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I can think of quite a few people that were able to kind of make meaning out of it and turn it around into a scenario where, you know, they went back to school or they learned, you know, and took some additional courses and kind of reinvented themselves. And that's really what's required sometimes when that stuff happens is you really have to be open to reinventing yourself and seeing yourself be able to do something new. And a lot of that comes down to an individual's personality, honestly. You know, if they don't like change, if they really struggle with putting themselves out there or, um, you know, being uncomfortable, then that can be a real stumbling block to getting back into the swing of things and re really redefining themselves in the workforce. Um, so I, I have definitely seen that happen. And when that does happen, it's always a, a win-win all around because you're just thrilled that your, you know, your patient is thriving. Um, but I've seen people really get stuck and this is where that, you know, personality and perceptions play a big role because I've seen people have substantial injuries that they've overcome, reinvented themselves and gotten back into the workforce because they're really motivated to do that. And then I've seen people with what I would consider a less debilitating injury get completely stuck and not being able to see themselves in a different role and therefore kind of hopeless and not motivated to pursue anything else. So, you know, there's a lot of psychological factors that come into play when you have an injured worker um, and they are trying or maybe not trying to return to work, depending on their scenario. What would you say to that person who's like stuck and just can't see? We try to identify very early on in the rehab process um, and a particular patient comes to mind right now when we hear them say, I used to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Or I, I used, oh my goodness, I used to do this. I used to do that. I, I could do that before. Right. You know, talking about them in the past tense when they're in the middle of their recovery, you know, we'll correct them and say something like, well, when you're able to do that again, Mm -hmm. or, you know, that type of scenario. Um, and that's not giving false hope because that's not what we do. We, we will say those things when we are pretty confident that the patient should be having a full recovery because you can really psychologically get stuck in your disability 
it's easy for us because we're on the outside looking in and we see patients, but when you're in a debilitating situation, it can feel like that it's going to be that way forever. And sometimes patients really are stuck logistic or, or, you know, really are stuck. I'm talking about is more of the patient where, um, they are, you know, not at that point yet where they shouldn't be identifying more with their disability than with moving towards ability, but the, they are stuck in that I'm disabled and I'm going to be like this forever, right. you know, and, and that's hard sometimes to get people out of that mindset, but that's some of what we, you know, we have to do. And then a lot of times you are just pushing them to do things that you know they can do that they don't think that they can do. And then that really speaks for itself. Do you think it helps for like, for them to, to see beyond themselves? Like I remember when I was kind of in a plateau and like I could be up for four hours and then I'd have to lie down again. And then for, for, uh, I don't know how long, I don't remember, but when Charles, my nephew was born and I got forced to have to babysit him that helped me like push myself to like get up even when I don't feel like it and I I strongly believe that that period of time because he was there and I had to be there for him when Hazel was working my sister then it just forced me to get better yeah because sometimes you you get you kind of can get into a rut of, I can't do this. And then, you know, you can fall into a, okay, well, this is my ability. This is where I'm at. And, you know, I think with, with your condition in particular, there's also a fear avoidance component to that. Um, you know, because when you think that something that you're going to do is going to make you feel awful, there's fear and anxiety associated with that. And it does take a lot to overcome that a lot, you know, because who wants to feel awful? You know, nobody does. And so you're always like, okay, if I do this, I'm going to feel terrible. Um, and so I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I can't, you know, I can't blame anyone for that scenario. Um, because those are, those are, difficult shoes to be in and it's hard sometimes to get over that hump, right. you know? Um, and we, we see that with, you know, orthopedic things too, where, you know, sometimes you'll literally have to say to a particular patient, you know, you're not walking enough during the day, you are not moving enough. And I know it's uncomfortable and I know you don't feel well, but here's the deal. Tomorrow, 20 minutes of walking, because by next week, you're going to do 30 minutes of walking. And you kind of have to, you know, lay the law down and push them um, and help them to, you know, identify with those objective goals is really more of what it is. Right. You know, and, and it's good to tie it into function like, okay, you know, you, you use whatever is important to the patient. You know, you want to go to, watch your grandson play soccer, you know, but you can't walk right now, you know, X number of feet, you know, if you want to get here, we've really got to start working on this. Yeah. 
which makes your role as an occupational therapist and even the physical therapists very important because like for me it was the first several months I would try to do something and then I'd have a setback and that what that that became a traumatic cycle that made me afraid to do things so that the outside input of a, a therapist like you guys does help push us forward so Thank you for the work that you guys do. <laughs> have you <laughs> now have you noticed a pattern for those who recover quickly and those that don't? You know, it, there's so many different variables when it comes to patient recovery. There really is, and it's it's you know, I mean, a few are healing time you know, their current state of health that they come into you with, you know, if they're, you know, generally really healthy when they've been injured or had a surgery, their outcomes are better, you know, comorbidities. If, you know, you have a patient who has a heart condition or diabetes or is overweight, that's going to impact their recovery. Definitely, you know, how, um, how motivated they are to recover, pain tolerance, you know, all those things really do kind of play into, um, you know, what and how quickly a patient is going to recover. So you, you have two amazing boys. You also wear the hat of a mom. So I'm curious, like, does your work, your profession inform how you parent them and especially when they get injured? <laughs> yes. Um, it, it definitely does. And I can give you a lot of examples there, but, you know, we see weird accidents, you know, a lot. And you hear someone's narrative and their story of how they were injured or crazy things that have happened. And you see trends in injuries all the time. Um, And it definitely makes you want to be more, you know, informative with your kids of the potential for different injuries. And so, you know, helmets on bikes, helmets on anything moving, um, you know, that should be the gold standard for every parent, but you know, it's, it carries a lot more weight when you see the freak accident of, you know, a kid that jumped on their skateboard to go down the road two feet and fell and hit his head on the curb and is now has, you know, a TBI that's significantly impacted, you know, his ability. So you see those freak things and you, you know, you try to not be, you know, a psychotic parent, but to really, you know, inform your kids about how to best take care of their bodies because, you know, there are certain things like brain injuries, for example, that, you know, it will be by the grace of God if you come through a brain injury with literally no impairments. You know, some of that stuff is really difficult stuff when it happens. And we've we've seen, you know, a lot of ATV accidents with, you know, teenage kids and, you know, a lot of fractures that occur from that. Um, a lot of motorcycle accidents. And I'm not anti-motorcycle, but the problem is a lot of times it's the, it's the car that is the problem. It's not the, 
the motorcycle driver. And so you see those trends. Um, so yeah, you do, you, it does influence how you talk to your kids and how you parent them and how you teach them to take care of your body. And so if there's a parent listening right now, that's has a kid that's um, recovering from a major injury, what would you advise them or any words of encouragement for them? I would say to always try to, you know, instill hope and always try to, you know, facilitate an atmosphere where the child can be as independent as possible, whether it be, you know, setting them up for an activity or, you know, helping them to be successful without enabling is really, really important when you are trying to get or to facilitate, you know, recovery. So don't baby them too much. Don't do too much. That's right. Don't do too much for them. It'll definitely delay things. And what about for adult patients that are recovering? What would you say to them? I would say definitely do what the medical professionals are asking of you. You know, it's a two-way street. There is, you know, we can be the smartest therapists, most motivated to help you, but you know, if on your days off from therapy, you're not doing your part, then you're not going to have as good of outcomes. If you're not following up with your physicians, taking your medications like you're supposed to, you know, you really have to be on the ball and doing every little thing that you can be doing for yourself, even down to getting adequate rest, quitting smoking, not drinking, you know, all of those things play a huge, huge role in, in recovery. So, you know, if you're in that battle, all of those little things make a huge difference um, for someone who's recovering from an injury. Thank you. Thank you for that. And finally, so for other therapists, do you have any words of guidance, especially to new ones that don't have much experience yet? Uh, how should they approach their patients with debilitating injuries? It depends on, you know, where the patient is at in their recovery. And my whole kind of philosophy with patients, and it's backed up definitely in, you know, the occupational therapy frame of references, you want to give hope, but you also want to be very real with your patient and be communicating to them, you know, what is actually going on with their body. and you know, know when to kind of flip that switch into more, less of a restorative approach to therapy and more of an adaptive approach. And basically what that means is, you know, you kind of wear two hats. If you're recovering from a stroke and you can't write, and we've been working on trying to get you to be able to write, you know, with a basic pen for, six months and it doesn't seem to be working, we might need to incorporate some type of adaptive equipment. And so that's more of an adaptive approach. You know, you need to know when to kind of shift gears with patients and help them to come to the realization that, you know, they're not going to be able to do something the same way, but it doesn't mean that they can't do it. Or, you know, there are times when patients just can't do something anymore. And so, you know, helping them process through that is also part of it because when you have a serious debilitating injury and you lose an activity that you love, it's a, it's a tough thing for people. 
So, you know, just a lot of times listening and, you know, helping them to kind of even brain, you know, brainstorm through something else that they might be able to do that they could enjoy, you know, is helpful. So, well, thank you. Thank you for the, the words of wisdom. <laughs> if anybody listening would like to acquire services, what's the best way to, for them to reach you? Um, yeah, they can call my office at 315-207-2222. That's Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. And that's where they can, they can find us. Okay. And are you guys doing in-person therapy right now or? Yep. So everyone is wearing masks and we're temping everybody at the door and, you know, nobody's really sitting in the waiting room. They're calling in advance, you know, and then coming in and we're social distancing people. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Shelly. I really appreciate it. I hope the conversation I had with Michelle King was not only informative, but also very encouraging to you. I do want to give us a few takeaways from what she said. Number one, don't give up hope when you're recovering. Number two, be willing to reinvent yourself and have a positive outlook on your new condition if it so happens that you won't be able to go back to your previous profession or the previous things that you used to be able to do. And finally, let's not forget to wear the proper head protection for outside activities like biking, skateboarding, even riding motorcycles especially. I'm going to leave you with this song that I wrote that I hope will be your anthem saying that my future is alive. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon. A prodigal from birth, my eternity doomed. Lost in every step, my mind was confused. Till scales fell off my eyes. True love, I...
If you'd like some free music sent to your inbox, just go to christinewaters.com forward slash free. That's christinewaters.com forward slash free. Also, I am looking for transformational stories in regards to major injuries. So if you have one or if you know of someone you'd like me to interview, please tell me about it at music at christinewaters.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and any review is greatly appreciated. God bless you. Until next time.